It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. You're watching Global BC. This is Global News Hour at 6. Shots fired in Abbotsford. Police pursue a suspect after a violent confrontation that left one officer dead. Good evening and thank you very much for joining us. Breaking details in that daylight shootout as a suspect in a car theft opened fire on police. One officer was hit and later died of his injuries. Abbotsford's chief of police was emotional addressing the media this afternoon. The officer who gave his life today is a hero. He was protecting this community. He will always be my hero. Reporter Jeff Hastings is live on scene. Jeff, the details are going to be difficult for some people to hear. Take us through what happened today. All right, Chris, this was no simple sequence of events. This was a violent incident after violent incident after violent incident. It started at one end of this Abbotsford strip mall. It moved to the other directly behind me there. That is where the officer was shot. And then it ended several blocks south of here on the other side of the Trans-Canada Highway. It all started Saturday when the Mustang was stolen from an Abbotsford Ford dealership. Monday, dealership workers spotted the missing car in a nearby strip mall. And uh, she looked at it and it uh, looked like it might have been ours. She called uh, Corey, our lot manager. We thought it was all pretty safe. Corey had blocked the Mustang in. He couldn't get out. Police were called and the workers were waiting in the blue truck when the suspect emerged from a nearby business with a gun. A male suspect emerged from that vehicle and began shooting at the caller and others with a shotgun. Police arrived quickly and there was an exchange of gunfire. APD officers arrived in the area and attempted to engage and arrest the suspect. There was an exchange of gunfire. An APD officer was shot and injured during this contact with the suspect. The injured APD officer was transported to a hospital with very serious injuries. The suspect took off in the Mustang, screaming south. Police rammed the Mustang, forcing it to stop. After what police are calling a very dynamic takedown, the suspect is in custody. He was transported to hospital with what we think are non-life-threatening injuries. The suspect is a male in his 60s from Alberta. Um, the horrible part of the story, our injured APD officer was pronounced dead at the hospital shortly after he arrived. Uh, our priority is going to be in supporting the family and each other. Um, I was able to uh, meet with uh, the spouse of this person. Uh, and uh, deliver the horrible news face-to-face. -face. It's something I never wanted to have to do in my life, uh, but I did it today, folks. The slain officer is being called a hero. He was killed protecting the public. It is terrible to hear those details. Jeff, still a lot to be learned about this investigation. Where does it go from here? That's right, Chris. As the Abbotsford Police Department mourns the loss of one of their own, other agencies 
are involved in a big way. IHIT has been called in to look into the homicide, the murder, the shooting of that officer, uh, as well as the Independent Investigations Office. The IIO will be looking into Abbotsford Police Department officers' actions that led to the apprehension and injury of that suspect, who we don't know much about yet. Back to you. All right. Thanks very much, Jeff. We'll bring in Aaron MacArthur now. And Aaron, the community is very quick to respond to this. There's already a growing memorial where you are. Yeah, Chris, to say the mood around here, uh, the Abbotsford Police Department is somber, is a bit of an understatement. I was speaking with a couple of members from the department here just a few minutes ago. They're all dealing with the situation as best as they can, but many are still in shock, saying they'll put off the emotions of the day's events until tomorrow. Staff lowered the flags here at the Abbotsford Police Department to half-mast this afternoon. And there's been a steady trickle of people dropping off flowers and cards of condolences. Many people didn't know the officer personally, but say the Abbotsford Police Department is so involved in the community, always there for the community of Abbotsford, they wanted to come and pay their respects. It's very sad that this is, this is his life's work and that they are willing to die for it. When these men and women go out on a daily basis, this is what they have to face, and it's very sad. Now, this shooting, uh, multiple shooting, happened in broad daylight in front of dozens of witnesses, many of whom ended up in the direct crossfire. Difficult to witness, difficult to be a part of, and the witness clips we keep hearing from, people just don't know quite what to make of what happened today. Uh, I heard the shots, and I turned and saw the back of his head with his rifle, and then I came around the corner, um, and that's really all I saw. Then I was on the phone with the police after that, after he had left, and then we heard two more shots coming from that direction uh, by the Starbucks there. The two police cars behind him rear-ended him, and there were police officers suddenly everywhere pointing guns, yeah. and then there was a barrage of shots, it seemed seemed to go on forever, but it was probably 10, 12, 15 shots, and, uh... I was parked at the turning lane there, and I seen all the cops' cars run around the side, and then I just seen the cops just open fire on the car. Did you see an officer down, Randy? I didn't see an officer down, I just seen the cops running around and backing up and keep shooting at a car. It must have been six, eight rounds, they must have fired into that car. Now, while the investigation continues, the healing will just be beginning. Everyone's focus right now on the officer's family and then the community's focus on the Abbotsford Police Department. Chris? Absolutely, as it should be. Okay, thank you, Aaron. The tragedy of losing an officer is always devastating. Since 1859, 120 law enforcement officers, that includes police, corrections, customs officers, and sheriffs, have died while serving the public. The most recent, up until today, was Constable Sarah Beckett in 2016. Now, there is more tonight on a tragedy involving an 8-year-old in Burnaby over the weekend, the young girl falling from a high-rise window. As Grace Key reports, while RCMP do not believe her death is suspicious, they're still trying to determine exactly how it could have happened. Neighbors are dropping off flowers, adding to the growing memorial just outside the Burnaby apartment building where an eight-year-old girl fell to her death over the weekend. She was a beautiful little girl, and it's a sad loss for all of us. We're all very close, so she's in peace now. 
It happened on Saturday at about 2 o'clock in the afternoon at the 3700 block of Bartlett Court. A caretaker and resident were the first ones to reach her. When emergency crews arrived, the young girl had already died. A parent was home at the time. It was initially unclear she fell out of a window or balcony, but police are now confirming she did in fact fall out of a window some 20 floors above. The coroner service and the investigators continue are continuing to look into the circumstances, but we do not believe that um, the incident or the accident was suspicious at any time. People here say it's a tight-knit community and everyone is mourning the loss. According to neighbours, the young girl, identified as Audrey, was visually impaired. My daughter's disabled, so yeah, and uh, it's a tough thing for me. It hits home. Grace Key, Global News. The search for a missing hiker suspended right now, but it resumed at first light this morning. 24-year-old Carl Couture was reported missing on November 2nd. Today's search crews set out to search from Norvan Falls to Lynn Headwaters, also checking an area on the east side of the Haines Valley Trail. Police say Couture recently moved to B.C. from eastern Canada and was not prepared to be out there overnight. Drivers still aren't getting the message in this province, so come March 1st, insurance penalties for distracted driving are going up. The government designating the offense as a high-risk behavior. Ted Chernecki explains what the new penalties are and how they add up with existing fines. Put your window down. Travel license, please. Like shooting fish in a barrel, in the span of a little more than an hour this morning, Vancouver police pulled over more than a dozen drivers who all received tickets for distracted driving. It's getting worse out there, so the penalties are going up. Can I clarify any questions regarding the cell phone legislation so you don't get any more tickets in future? We wanted to send a strong message where someone has two or more distracted driving tickets in a three-year period, they're going to have to pay more for insurance. In B.C., there are 12,000 drivers who've received two or more distracted driving tickets in the last two years. And 25% of all fatalities involve distracted drivers. So in B.C., that's 78 deaths a year that can be blamed on distractions. People know that it's against the law. They know they shouldn't be doing it, and they're still doing it. And they should have to pay more for insurance because they're driving up costs, and they're also causing deaths on our roads. So come March 1st, the fine for obtaining two tickets in a year goes up to as high as $2,000 from the current 1200 This is on top of your regular car insurance, and your license is automatically reviewed where it could be suspended for 3 to 12 months. Four years ago, a couple driving an SUV on the Lionsgate Bridge collided head-on with a distracted driver who wandered into their lane. The victim was pregnant, and the couple lost their unborn child. And while applauding today's announcement, she believes technology brought us this problem, and it can solve it. I do think cell phone providers and technology is is the way to go to try to help change behavior and and, uh, make sure people stop using their phones while driving. I was hit by a distracted driver, and they did a ton of damage to my body and the car. She had no clue. She, her head was down, looking at her phone, and she drove right into us. Why are you looking at a phone while driving? I'm using and for the doubters, here's a stat that makes a point. In every one of the last five years in B.C., more people were killed by distracted drivers than alcohol and drugs combined. Tetranet Global News. A protest this morning against modular housing in Vancouver's Marpole neighborhood. Residents speaking out saying they're not against the plan itself, just its current location. Tanya Beja is live outside Langara Golf Club where a public meeting is about to get underway. Tanya, what's the key issue for residents here? 
Well, Chris, Marpole residents are voicing their opposition inside tonight, saying that an area with three schools is not the right place to put temporary housing. Marpole parents take their concerns to the streets, protesting a city plan to house the homeless nearby. We want to help the homeless, but the location is wrong in our community. Any location except right across the street from kids. That's all we're asking. The city plans to build 78 units of modular housing on an empty lot at 59th and Heather. Temporary housing for Marpole's homeless and seniors with disabilities. But with three schools in the area, some residents feel the location is a bad fit and say they weren't consulted. We're horrified. People are really concerned. This is about transparency. It's about due process. The city fast-tracked construction of modular housing following the success of a pilot project downtown. 40 units in an industrial, not residential area. Neighbouring businesses say the tenants were a welcome addition. It's much cleaner. There is more attention from you know the, the city hall to clean the area, to make it look uh, appealing. Vancouver's mayor says finding locations is a struggle, so the Marpole site offered by developer Ani is non-negotiable. Well, these sites are going to happen. We are going to get people into homes. You can't take thousands of citizens and put them at risk in order to help 80 people. The city says those tenants will be screened by health and housing authorities, accusing some in the community of fear-mongering. I'm very, very concerned about the vicious comments, the stigma that's being put on people who are homeless. And while the city says this is a done deal, residents can still have some input on how the plan unfolds. And Chris, this is likely not the last battle as Vancouver is still looking for 12 to 15 additional housing sites. Back to you. Tanya Beja live in Vancouver. Thanks, Tanya. And breaking details now of a special weather statement indicating conditions are changing out there. Meteorologist Christy Gordon has the details. Christy. That's right, Chris. New forecast details have just come in, and we do have a chance of snow again this week for most of the south coast. But there's a lot of uncertainty with this forecast, so when I come back, I'll show you why you need to stay tuned for the next two days. Two days. All right. We'll get the details a little later. Thank you. The shocking toll of undiagnosed learning disabilities. Statistics show nearly every single inmate who's ever served jail time has a learning disability, and for most of them, it's dyslexia, and early diagnosis can be a game changer, and it certainly was for this teenager who's now an honors student. What it's like to be dyslexic and how she overcame her struggles in just over a minute. A bizarre dispute between Rand Paul and his neighbor leaves the U.S. senator with five broken ribs. How an allegedly trivial matter led to the brawl later on the news hour. And how Burnaby students are making sure no veteran is forgotten as we get closer to Remembrance Day. That story also coming up. Right now, though, it's a condition that affects one in five Canadians. But despite that, dyslexia is highly misunderstood and underdiagnosed. Every year, countless children with dyslexia slip through the cracks in the school system, unable to read and write. Tonight, Jennifer Palma begins a three-part series on how learning needs to be remapped for children with dyslexia. I just have a test. 16-year-old Tannis McKay is an honors student at Collingwood School. She puts in a lot of time doing her schoolwork. Here's one way she does it. What is the role of the governor general? What are the steps on Tannis is smart, but struggles with that thought. She lives with dyslexia. When I was younger, B's and D's were just 
everywhere for me. There was no, couldn't tell which one apart for the life of me. Plus, filled. Dyslexia is a specific learning disability affecting the ability to read and write. Physical, physical, but its crippling effect goes beyond school success. It can pummel self-esteem and create anxiety. When I was younger, I just didn't really know what was wrong with myself, and I, I felt alone. But now it's different. I know there's others. One in five are affected by dyslexia, which is on a spectrum from mild to profound. So is it 39? It's a genetic condition some say is underdiagnosed and not properly supported in schools. Good job. Linda Siegel is an expert in the field. There is a tendency to say that, oh, the child will grow out of it. But these young people, even in grade one, are struggling compared to the other children in the class, and they really should not be ignored. Here's what it feels like to have dyslexia. Can you read this? But dyslexia is more than just mixing up or reversing the order of letters or numbers. Some other symptoms include difficulty learning times tables, rhyming, and comprehension. What do you want for lunch? Tannis's so mom, Kathy McMillan, has stuff. fought for her daughter's education and has become an advocate. It's hard for people to come around to the idea that to um, succeed with a learning disability, um, you need to be open about it, embrace it. Thank you. Tannis has severe dyslexia, but after many schools has found a working combination at Collingwood. Hello. A school costing her family close to $35,000 a year. Abiotic means non But her love of soccer is also helping. She's in grade 11 and already has a scholarship to an American university, showing with the right support, those with dyslexia can achieve anything. Nothing's wrong with them. They... It's just a different way of how they're learning and, you know, work hard. That's the only way you're going to get it done. Jennifer Palma, Global News. Pretty nifty footwork there. Tomorrow night, why many parents suffer financial hardship to provide a better education for their children who are living with dyslexia with little direct help from the province. And for more information on this series and the topic, go to globalnews.ca slash bc. And we have to say an enormous thank you to our Global BC viewers and CKNW listeners who made a donation to Variety, the children's charity, during our second annual Variety Week. Variety helps kids with special needs in every corner of the province with grants that cover therapies, equipment, and tuitions that are not covered by the government. And we are very excited to announce tonight that together we raised $835,000 which means Variety will be able to help 344 children. So thank you so much to everyone who gave all across the province. A global viewer captures a taxi company erupt in flames. Now they're trying to stay in business despite the disaster. And the disturbing past of the Texas church shooter. The series of failures that led up to a tragedy. Chilliwack Taxi Company is struggling to continue to provide services today after a huge fire destroyed its headquarters last night. The dispatcher was the only person in the building at the time. Thankfully, he got out safely. The company is now dispatching calls from one of the taxis. No word yet on the cause, but if you are waiting on a taxi or need a taxi in Chilliwack, it may take a little bit longer for them to get there. 
Students from three Burnaby schools paid tribute to Canada's war veterans ahead of Remembrance Day. A little frozen ground didn't stop students from Caribou High School and Armstrong and Second Street Elementaries from planting hundreds of Canadian flags on the grounds of the George Derby Center. The center is home to more than 150 veterans. This is part of the annual Pledge a Flag event where the public can sponsor a flag for a $5 donation. Pretty special to watch the young people, if nothing else, just to show them pride of country, pride of flag. and they can, It's nice to see the interaction with them and some of the 90-year-olds that are there. They were saying about their past and how, what, how they like, fought in the war and um, how hard and how like, difficult it was. Well done, kids. And we'll return to our top story now. The Abbotsford police officer killed in the line of duty, gunned down in a shootout with a suspected car thief. Jeff Hastings has more on the chaotic series of events that unfolded today and the reaction to it. Jeff. Uh, chaotic is certainly a good word for what happened here today, Chris. And we still don't know this full story. I, I suspect investigators don't know everything either. This was violent incident after violent incident after violent incident, starting in this Abbotsford strip mall at one end when employees of a car dealership noticed what they believed to be a car that had been stolen on Saturday. Uh, they boxed the car in. They, After establishing that it was, in fact, their car, they blocked the car in, called police and waited. Nothing was happening. They waited 15 or 20 20 minutes. Then the suspect allegedly came out of a nearby business with a long gun, a rifle, which he uh, then allegedly shot at the car dealership employees with. He shot this blue truck that we've seen pictures of. Uh, then Abbotsford police arrived. There was an exchange of gunfire with Abbotsford police officers. That's when the officer who died was hit. The suspect then allegedly took off south down Mount Lehman Road over the Trans-Canada, over South Fraser uh, Highway, and then around a traffic circle before coming back up, uh, being chased by police officers who rammed him, forcing him to stop, and then shots rang out. We learned later, after the fact, that the police officer involved had died. There's been condolences pouring in from all over B.C. today, including from B.C. Public Safety Minister Mike Farnworth. Let's listen. At this time, our, our hearts go out to the, the officer's family and his colleagues in the Abbotsford Police Department and, indeed, police officers right across this province and across this country. So there's a great deal of extremely grim police officers around here today. Many members of the Abbotsford Police Department still conducting traffic control, still maintaining the scene, still doing their jobs, even after they knew that one of their own had been shot and killed. Now, there are several other investigations taking place at the same time I hit. The Integrated Homicide Investigation Team has been called to investigate the death of the officer, the homicide by this 60-year-old Alberta man who is in, uh, allegedly by the 60-year-old Alberta man who is in police custody. Also, a separate investigation is looking into the actions of Abbotsford police as they took this suspect into custody. Independent Investigations Office, the IIO, as it's commonly called, has been called in as well. Back to you. All right. Lots more to learn from that investigation for sure. Jeff Hastings in Abbotsford Forest. And of course, our condolences to the family of that officer. 
Well, the details of a life unraveled. Those who knew the taxi shooter provide some background that might explain why he did what he did. Uh, this is a mental health problem at the highest level. This isn't a guns situation. I mean, we could go into it, but it's a little bit soon to go into it. But U.S. President Donald Trump in Japan suggesting yesterday's massacre in a Texas church isn't about guns, but about mental health. At this point, so far at least, there's been no official word on the gunman's mental state. But police are saying now fully half of the 26 people who died were children. Twenty other people were injured. The shooter had a history of domestic abuse and under Texas law should not have been allowed to buy the guns he used. NBC's Stephanie Gosk reports. When Devin Kelly opened fire on this small clapboard church in Texas, officials say it was not a random target. Kelly deliberately attacked the place where his wife's parents worship. They were not at service on Sunday. The suspect's mother-in-law attended this church. Uh, we know that he had made threatening texts from him. There was a domestic situation going on within the family and the in-laws. While speeding from the scene, the 26-year-old's final call may have been to his own family. The suspect used his cell phone to notify his father that he had been shot. Kelly's recent past was troubled. Court-martialed in 2012 while serving at U.S. Air Force Base Holloman in New Mexico. He was found guilty of beating his first wife and fracturing his baby stepson's skull. The couple later divorced. The military confined Kelly for a year and discharged him for bad conduct. Kelly's court-martial was the military equivalent of a felony conviction, and federal law makes it illegal for anyone with a felony to buy a gun. But records show Kelly purchased four guns in the years after his conviction. The Air Force tonight says its criminal investigators failed to put information about Kelly's military conviction into the national database. NBC News also spoke with two former girlfriends who say Kelly's behavior was obsessive and at times threatening. There was one day, though, that he just would not stop calling me. How many times did you say he called you during that day? I would say probably like 30 back to back. Kelly had trouble at work. As recently as this summer, he was fired from a nearby water park. Park confirming that he worked as an unarmed security guard for just five and a half weeks. The lawyer for the man who's accused of attacking U.S. Senator Rand Paul says the incident was over something most people would find trivial. Other neighbors say Paul and the suspect, who are next-door neighbors, have had a number of disagreements over the years. Tonight, Rand Paul still out of the public eye after that stunning attack. His neighbor, 59-year-old Rene Boucher, now charged with fourth-degree assault for Friday's incident inside the gated community where both men live. Boucher's home right next door to Senator Paul, separated by a grass lawn. Two sources familiar with the incident say Senator Paul was mowing his lawn wearing headphones when Boucher attacked him from behind. Paul fending him off. Paul's office saying the Senator is in pain and has five rib fractures. We're in the midst of another spending frenzy. Paul, a key Republican who ran for president last year. So what prompted the incident? Neighbors say the two have disagreed on everything from politics to trash for years. I think their disagreement was probably over where a leaf or a twig fell on a tree. 
Tonight, Boucher's attorney saying it has absolutely nothing to do with either's politics. It was a very regrettable dispute over a matter that most people would regard as trivial. Rand Paul tweeting he appreciates the overwhelming support after Friday's unfortunate event. Thank you for your thoughts and prayers. Tonight, Boucher is out on bond. Blake McCoy, NBC News, Bowling Green, Kentucky. The Trudeau government has been under fire in Ottawa today after the release of the so-called Paradise Papers that allegedly implicate high-profile Canadians in offshore tax havens. What's the one group the Liberals have left alone? Their super-rich friends and those working hard to join them, Mr. Speaker. <laughs> the opposition accusing the Liberals of going after ordinary Canadians for taxes but letting the rich go. Among the Canadians named in the papers are former Prime Ministers Brian Mulroney, Paul Martin and Jean Chrétien, along with businessman Stephen Bronfman, the Liberals' top fundraiser. Chrétien and Bronfman deny the reports. With hundreds of people across B.C. dying of drug overdoses every year, Fraser Health says it's time for all of us to step up and take action if we suspect someone has a drug problem. As Linda Aylesworth reports, it's a new campaign called When Words Matter, and it's based on extensive interviews with the very people who are fighting drug abuse. As a homeless person, William spends a lot of time on the streets of Surrey, where he sees a lot of bad things go down, like drug overdoses. I have a kit that I was given down at the shelter. It's the Narcan kit. I've actually used one. You've used one? Yeah. On the streets where drugs are openly used, there's usually someone around to help. But 70% of people who overdose do so in private residences. Many of these people uh, who do are, are shameful about their drug use. They're, they're really fighting stress and, and dealing with their drug use uh, indoors and alone. It is those people and their loved ones who are the focus of a new campaign released today by Fraser Health. What we're really trying to do is ensure that um, people who live with people who use substances um, have the tools to actually start having conversations. They're doing it through social media and a website that connects people to valuable information, some of it contained in the video when words matter. It may take many talks. We may say things that hurt or are hard to hear. It may not go the way you want. But as your friend. Your son. Or your partner. We need to talk and listen. It was an excellent example of the discussions that people have to have with their loved ones. Michelle, who lost her son Brandon last year to a fentanyl overdose, admits her first attempts to talk to him about his addiction could have been done better. I came across as very heavy-handed. I had heard that with people who are doing drugs, it's a tough love approach. That doesn't work. The campaign focuses on how to have that discussion. Let your loved one know that you're trying to understand, that you're there to support, and let's talk about what can be done to help them. Linda Aylesworth, Global News. University of Denver students were given three hours and just $20 to launch a startup company. Really? You can print our face on toast? Face toast is what they created. How it works later. And dramatic dash cam footage showing officers rescuing a man from a burning vehicle. Police dash cam video captures the dramatic moments firefighters and police officers work together to rescue a driver from a burning vehicle. We'll give you more of that coming up right after weather. Earlier we saw that special weather statement. Christy's got all the details now in our weather forecast. Christy. 
That's right. So a lot of uncertainty with this forecast, but certainly the chance of snow across all of the south coast. Let me show you uh, what we'll be talking about. It's a beautiful evening out there, cold tonight. Before I move on, participation, helping Canada celebrate 150 years. And today they're uh, giving you a suggestion of a way that you can stay fit. How about five-pin bowling? Sure. On a cold night like now? <laughs> yeah, good idea. Okay, so here's a Remax satellite. What we have is cold, dry air entrenched. You can feel it. Your skin's so dry. Um, that is going to hold strong. And what we've got is this low-pressure center, and it looks like it's moving onshore. It looks like a recipe for snow, right? But the problem is this. The low-pressure center itself is actually driving itself to the south, and we've got moisture moving up like this. It's actually just going to spin offshore for the next two days. So here's an example of that. So... There is a chance that it could move in tomorrow and we could see snow. The cold air is there. The moisture moves in. That means the possibility of snow, especially out in the Fraser Valley, higher elevations. But there's a chance that it doesn't move on shore at all and just turns offshore, maybe brings in an isolated flurry, and that's about it. So that's why I need you to stay tuned for the next two days, because there is a chance we could see some snow tomorrow, but there's, might, there's a chance we may not see it at all. So that's what I'll be able to keep you up to date on. This is the forecast we're calling for right now. This is what we think is the best case, or the best chance of actually happening. Timeline would be tomorrow, cold, mostly cloudy, mostly dry. Maybe a slight chance of an isolated flurry or shower. But really, the bulk of the moisture not pushing in until Wednesday, more likely late morning or afternoon hours. For Metro Vancouver, it would be rain, but there's a chance of wet snow in areas where we're still cold enough. And then East Fraser Valley, we're talking about east of Abbotsford. Those are the areas that could see snow. And again, this is more likely late morning on Wednesday into the afternoon hours. In the meantime, this is your tomorrow. So rain across the coast, inland regions, snow, flurries in areas like Prince George, Quinell, etc. Well, even into the Columbia and the Kootenai region there. Uh, the chance of flurries down through these areas, just a slight chance in the afternoon. And again, mostly dry across the south coast, but there is a slight chance of an isolated flurry or shower tomorrow. More likely, it's on Wednesday that we're tracking the moisture to push in, warming up Thursday with rain, and then a chance of showers on Friday. So certainly warming up over the next little while with more moisture. Happy birthday to Brenda Mason and Esme Watts, both celebrating birthdays tonight. Congratulations to you and a nice shot of the snow, of course, on the North Shore Mountains. Thanks to David for that one. Beautiful shot. Okay, thanks, Christy. Well, they certainly wouldn't give up, and a California man is thankful for the determination of his rescuers tonight. It was all captured on police dash cam. It's believed the driver fell asleep at the wheel, drove off the road, hit a tree, and then flipped his vehicle before it burst into flames. Officers on scene worked frantically to free the man as the flames grew ever larger. Fire crews arrived and put some water on it. Thankfully, he was pulled from the vehicle. He had burns and a few other minor injuries, but otherwise he was okay. Five officers also had minor burns and cuts from trying to get him out of the car. Lucky man tonight. And we have seen how people in uniform will do anything Mm -hmm. uh, to keep people safe. Hmm. All right, here is uh, Squire now joining us. We miss uh, Sophie, who's been on uh, quite the European vacation. vacation. Look forward to her getting back tomorrow. Mm-hmm. Nice to see you, sir. National Lampoon's European vacation or yeah. just a European vacation? Probably less eventful. I'm, I'm yeah. Yeah. Okay, so the Canucks play tonight, home game against Detroit. Then they're on the road for four. Uh, as for the Lions, this is not the kind of season Wally Buono envisioned, but will it be his last season with the Lions? I, I don't want to say yes or no, but as of, as of today... 
Wally on his future and the Lions on their recent past. That's coming up in sports. And bringing some real dough to college students. The competition that gave life to a thing called face toast. Squires here with sports, and uh, we're just talking about witnessing what seems to be a changing of the guard. Which has to happen. Mm -hmm. The other night against Pittsburgh, the Sedins less than nine minutes on the ice. I mean, not between them, but less than nine minutes each. That's unheard of. And I'm not saying it's wrong. Canucks won that game. Uh, There is a big difference between Travis Green and Willie Desjardins. Desjardins liked his veterans. He was not one to get adventurous with his lineup. Green is the opposite. The biggest change is how they used the Sedins and their young forwards. Willie was all about Henrik and Daniel being first liners. Green is quite happy to go with the kids up front and let the Twins play a supporting role. And quite frankly, as we just mentioned, for a team that's transitioning away from its past, that is what should be happening. Banked up ahead, or the attempt by Mata ends up with Oh, there's a chance they score! Just good hockey. Uh, competing both ends of the rink. Uh, being hard on the puck. Uh, that's how, you know, you look at a lot of their goals, how they scored it. And they scored those goals going head-to-head for most of the night against Sidney Crosby and the Penguins' top line. Bo Horvat, Sven Berchi, and Brock Besser racked up 11 points. No forward line spent more minutes on the ice than this trio. And yes, make no mistake, the torch has been passed. Um, you know, we knew what we had, and um, you know, to, to keep doing that during the course of the, the, the first part of the season, it's, it's been awesome. Um, you know, knowing where each other is going to be on the ice, that chemistry. Um, you know, the Sedins have done it for years. So, I mean, to, to kind of have that chemistry and know where each other, you know, where everybody is on the ice and, and making little plays, it uh, definitely gives us a lot of confidence. Nobody's done more heavy lifting for the Canucks organization in the last decade than Daniel and Henrik. Over the years, the Sedins' presence has been felt on and off the ice. But this year, things are different drastically different. Their ice time has shrunk by five minutes a game. Against the Penguins, they played less than nine minutes. And in 13 games, they have an unsedine like eight points. That's combined. It's like they've gone from primetime players to team players seemingly in the blink of an eye. I just expect them to play good sound hockey. I thought the New Jersey game was a great game. Uh, as far as expectations, I just expect them to play good hockey like they always have, and I think they are. So good hockey from the Twins, and hopefully great hockey from Bo Horvat, Sven Berchi, and Brock Besser. Jay Janow, Global Sports. Protocol with Leafs have slowed down a bit. They're slowed down a bit, I should say, since a great start. But this guy can still go. Austin Matthews, look at this. A move right there. He doesn't score a goal here, but the rebound's knocked in by James Van Riemsdyk as Toronto is hosting Vegas. Vegas will tie this game up. This is a Riley Smith power play goal. They are in overtime right now, 3-3 in Toronto. And after a bit of a rough beginning, the Jets have played pretty well. They have a lot of good young players too, guys like Mark Scheifele, Patrick Laine. Here's a Scheifele goal against Dallas. Now I'm going to show you a line A goal against Dallas. It's 3-0 now in the second period, Winnipeg over Dallas. Well, we do know this for sure. We found out today. David Braley says he will still be the owner of the BC Lions in 2018. But 
Who will all be on his payroll? That part is still unknown. Even Wally Buono's return is uncertain, but that really is up to him. Some of the players won't be back, that's for sure, after a season that had a worse ending than Return of the Jedi. Back in June, it looked like the sky was the limit for Wally Buono and the BC Lions. This was a talent-laden team. With a combination of an up-and-coming young quarterback and a good veteran backup and receivers with all-star hands and they started great five and two and then they fell down we had talented players but we didn't have a talented team as a unit and getting guys to play together you add that with the fact that you know for whatever reason we weren't able to make critical plays at critical times and um, a lot of games could have went other way you know i think we lost three games on the last play um, you make those three plays, and we're singing a different tune right now. And it didn't help that neither of the quarterbacks stayed healthy. And even when he was out there, John Jennings played a bit differently than we had seen him in the past, and he knows it. I've got to get back to using my instincts and using my legs. Um, I thought that I lost that a little bit this season, and when things got cloudy, uh, sometimes I just, you know, uh, ended up taking a sack and, and stuff that I, I'm not used to, stuff that I usually don't do, and, and got to get back to, uh, you know, doing what got me here. But as the Lions players pack up their gear, some for the final time, the biggest question is still at the top. What will Wally do? Will he stay as head coach? Yeah, I don't want to say yes or no. Uh, as, of, as of today, I can say to myself, I might never coach again, and I would be okay with that. Whatever he does decide, he wants to do it relatively soon, so the BC Lions can start figuring out how to fulfill the promise of 2017 in the 2018 season. Defensive backs are some of football's biggest trash talkers. Yesterday, two got bounced by angry receivers. Marshawn Lattimore blasted by Mike Evans after he got into it with quarterback Jameis Winston. Evans suspended one game for this. But Cincinnati's A.J. Green not suspended for going GSP on Jalen Ramsey yesterday. Both got kicked out, but the NFL says no further discipline is needed. What's weird is A.J. Green is usually a mild-mannered guy, but must have watched UFC on Saturday and got some ideas. <laughs> Rear naked chokehold there. There you go. It's the dumbest thing to throw a punch at a guy wearing a football helmet. Yeah, I don't I, understand it, but I don't get it. All right, here's Jay Durant now with a preview of Global News tonight at 11. Jay. Thank you, Chris. We have a crew on the ground in Abbotsford where the community continues to try and make sense of today's tragic loss. People stopping tonight at the Abbotsford Police Department laying flowers and paying their respect. We will have the latest for you tonight. And a dramatic picture released by the Kamloops RCMP. This takedown happening today after a weekend-long manhunt. The suspect wanted in connection to an incident that ended with an exchange of gunfire Saturday with police. We'll have all the details for you tonight at 11. Indeed. Don't want to get involved with that police dog. Hey, the canine unit, whew, baring its teeth. All right, we'll be back with Face Toast. Next, this, it's a thing. Canada, Julia Roberts and Denzel Washington weigh in on the sexual harassment epidemic sweeping across Hollywood. Plus, we're in London with Michelle Pfeiffer for Murder on the Orient Express. Then, Joe Jonas and Sophie Turner throw an A-list engagement party. That is all coming up at 7, right after the news hour. But for now, it's back to you, Chris. All right, thanks very much, Cheryl. You guys are on Facebook, right? Well, I know you probably aren't. No, I'm not. You are. I am. Yeah. Sort of. 
It was financed, bankrolled by uh, multimillionaires at some point in its deep past. Not every startup, though, is bankrolled by investors with deep pockets. At Denver University, for instance, students working with a shoestring budget have developed a Hold new it, product. Is that you? Is that me? Yeah, in see? toast? Yeah, like there. <laughs> <laughs> They've developed a new product that could change the face of breakfast, quite literally. The Innovation Lab is this great space. Amelia, Austin, Isaiah, Luke, and Jacob are all students here at DU. And this month, the school issued a challenge. Students are grouped into pairs, and they are given three hours and $20 to make as much revenue, um, or subscriptions, or pre-sales as possible. They competed in DU's leanest startup competition. There's this kind of this concept around that you can't make money unless you have money. And the idea of this competition is to shatter that notion. We ended up selling 57 pieces of toast in about three hours. Pieces of toast? Even if they didn't buy face toast, would smile at the idea of face toast. They're like, really? You can print our face on toast? Just examples of some toast trial toast we've done. This is uh, Jacob, one of our founders. Also Halloween images. Um, this is my face that we did a trial toast of. They had to be cheap, so they bought a loaf of bread dried it. Yeah, we're about to etch his face and it's going to look perfect. Then went back to the innovation lab. It is a laser. It's a CO2 laser. Etching faces into toast with the school's laser. That's resourceful. They plan to launch a Kickstarter here this week. The sales pitch? When it comes to just taking a picture and putting it on toast. It may need some work. We're the best that there really is here at facetoast.com. But who needs a pitch when your face could be on toast? <laughs> so can you eat that or is that the idea that you well, just like you would just keep it in the house? Pretty stale by the time it yeah. gets Frame it and put it up it at Denver University, but weird. <laughs> is it a conversation piece like, you know? <laughs> Think of how many people are going to get face toast for Christmas now. Gross. <laughs> a lot. <laughs> I hope it's not in my stock. <laughs> Maybe some snow though. Yes, so uh, chat, stay tuned over the next two days, everyone. All right, thanks for watching. Have a great night, everyone.